Welcome to the G3 Podcast, a weekly podcast focused on the Christian life where we examine doctrinal and cultural issues that impact God's church. My name is Josh Bice, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeremy Voilo. Welcome back to the G3 Podcast. You might have noticed in recent days that Jeremy Voilo has not been with us on every single episode. But today he returns, and I wanted to give an update as to the ongoing schedule that you can expect moving forward, as Jeremy's going to be joining us basically once a month. And so we're going to be discussing various different topics related to the church, related to doctrinal issues that we face within the context of the church, encouraging things that we can discuss as far as specific doctrines related to Um, areas of study, uh, perhaps even areas that we have focused on in the past at G3 conferences, and some that we will be focusing on in the future, such as the G3 at Sea coming up in January. So we are delighted to have Jeremy back with us today as we're going to be discussing the subject of suffering as we endure and as we continue to persevere through this pandemic. We've been navigating this season for quite some time now, and it's provided a good number of difficulties for us. So I know on the East Coast, we have experienced a good number of challenges. But again, on the West Coast, Jeremy, take us through what's happening over in Los Angeles and how you guys are navigating this pandemic. Yeah, it's been an interesting time, I think, for everybody. Um, I remember when the, the lockdown first happened here in L.A., I asked my grandparents, who are in New Jersey, if they'd ever lived through anything like this. And they said it was absolutely unprecedented. And um, I think for all of us, we've just been adjusting to new normals. Uh, here in LA, it's just been strange seeing the streets so empty. I think that's a lot of people's experience around the country and, and around the world, really, right now. But being able to get across LA in 25 minutes, I think it's something people have dreamed about for a long time and didn't think um, or didn't dream about a pandemic being the cause. But yeah, it's just been surreal just seeing the world locked in and, and shut down. One of the things that my wife and I notice is we take daily walks outside and we'll go down the street and we see entire families out walking together, first of all, which is pretty cool. But then it's almost a courtesy to avoid each other. So people see you coming and they walk to the other side of the street and then wave. Um, so it's been, it's just been, it's just been interesting just adjusting to that. And We've never lived through anything like this. Who knows if we'll ever live through anything like this in the future. Um, It's been pretty fascinating to see how life has changed. Yeah, it's been about the same here. I mean, we've obviously had enormous challenges to navigate, but uh, just thinking in terms of how can we use this time, because we probably will never have to do this again, hopefully. Um, How can we use this for the glory of God? How can we spend time together with our families, with our children, make the most of this time. And so, yeah, just thinking in terms of where we've, where we've been through this pandemic, but yet now here we are, at least our state, uh, our governor is a bit of a rebel, it seems, has opened up the state for, um, you know, for j- just a restart, so to speak, and, and at least a cautious restart to the economy here. And so there's going to be a bit of a, a funny dance as we move back into normal ebb and flow of life and some normality of worship cycle and routines. 
And we're going to have to expect some, you know, some awkward moments, you know, when we get back together as a church, you know, people are going to be like really hesitant to reach out, to embrace, to shake hands, to do the typical greetings that we've been accustomed to. And so when we come back together, we can expect that to be a little bit of an awkward dance, don't you think? Oh, yeah. And you've been doing live stream now on your services for what, six weeks has it been? Yeah, it's been about six weeks. Yeah, so people have gotten used to that, but I know people are are so eager to get back together. So there's going to be the awkwardness. There's probably going to be a tinge of uncertainty because we're trying to figure out how how do we how has how has this pandemic changed life almost permanently going forward in terms of you know being aware of of uh, hygiene and things like that. I think there's a new sensitivity to some things. Like you said, handshakes. Um, I know some, some people are hoping handshakes will be a thing of the past, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be certainly maybe awkward at, at the start, but I think just glorious to get back together as a church. I cannot wait to be gathered with the, the corporate body again to worship and a little jealous of, of you there in Georgia getting to do that so soon. Will you be doing that this upcoming Sunday? No, we will not. Um, we're actually uh, just going to restart uh, the first week. of So it'll be next week that we start back to in-office work with our staff. And then we're looking at mid-May as a return to campus at some form or fashion, but it's still going to be a modified approach. I mean, we're obviously, we typically have a morning and an evening service, just as you guys do. But we are going to be probably still doing just a morning service only, still doing Zoom for Sunday school and small group meetings. So we have men and women's groups and we have Sunday school. So we have all of these different groups that are just almost Zoomed out. So I think that at least coming back to the campus for at least one social distancing service in person is going to be a, a breath of fresh air, so to speak. Yeah, to be able to take communion uh, with each other again, that'll be a special time as well. Looking forward to that when the church is able to yeah to gather again. But even then, I mean, how are we going to do, you know, the, the Lord's table? How are we going to go through the process of serving the church in a way that's trustworthy to the people so that you don't have people that are barring themselves from the Lord's table simply because of the fact that they're afraid of germs? So lots of things to think through. Yeah, a lot of questions. Yeah, for sure. And and one of the things um, we wanted to address today was really the issue of suffering and how this pandemic has has brought that to the forefront of our minds. Because for a lot of us, it's been a blessing that we've been able to take some of our work online. And so maybe our income isn't affected if, if we're able to, to do work online and really do it from home and have more opportunity with the family. But whether it's economic, whether it's health, uh, social, whatever it is, there's been a lot of negative results of the world shutting down. Uh, people are feeling this very close to home. Yeah, they are. And so when we think about suffering, we need to think, uh, again, what does it mean to suffer? And, and again, there are so many different categories of, for suffering, right? So there's suffering for righteousness sake, there's suffering for unrighteousness sake, for say stupidity or sinful reasons. And then there's this idea that we could suffer because this is obviously uh, under the providential governing power of our sovereign God. So then we must ask honest questions as we read the scriptures. Is this God's will? And since we know that God is sovereign over everything, how can we approach this pandemic through the lens of suffering 
and yet have some some lens of glory that we can look through and say God is accomplishing his glory through this and not in a global scale, but yet also in a micro scale in our own lives as well. Yeah. And that's a good a thought thinking about the different dimensions of suffering. And obviously there are different purposes that the Lord has. And as we look at n- natural disasters and natural calamities, uh, that is a result of the fallen world we live in, uh, but it's 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 not the same as like you said the the results of our sin. It's it doesn't have the moral uh, tinge to it that that we suffer when we are are morally rebellious against the Lord and there's discipline of the Lord or just the consequences of that. Um, and so, yeah, we've got to break that down in category. And obviously, COVID nineteen. I think a lot of people have have said things about. Um, God being angry, or this is judgment, or this or that. I don't think we have the freedom to diagnose that. Um, the Lord hasn't revealed to us, but we do recognize this is a form of suffering. This is difficult, and people's livelihoods are being lost, and in many cases, lives are being lost. And so, as Christians, we've got to have a very robust worldview and understanding of that, so that at whatever point this difficulty is touching us, because, you know, you and I, Josh, we can share our experiences, but for those listening, they're coming from different different places. And this pandemic is affecting everyone differently. Uh, and so what is the Christian worldview that allows us to walk through this trial and come out on the other side, having passed the test and having glorified God and having had a right perspective where We've been able to flourish in that trial, not just flounder and fall, uh, but actually seen it as a wonderful opportunity to grow in godliness, to glorify the Lord. And as we've talked about, Josh, seeing this as an opportunity for for advancing the gospel. And so we want to talk a little bit about that. But uh, yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, and I think it coincides where I've been reading in scripture Um this last two months, I've been just soaking in the in the book of James and wanting to go back to it every day. It's just five chapters and read it once a day and just pull out different thoughts as, as I see them. And originally, I, I thought of just doing this for about a month. And I think what happened was it I just kept going deeper and deeper and seeing more and more treasure. It was almost like the Proverbs talk about, you know, you're mining for, for jewels and you you get to the point where you the jewels start coming out of the mountainside, and instead of stopping, you want to keep digging. And the more you dig, the more jewels there are. And that's how it has been for James. And so for two months, I've just every day not been able to leave James. And one of the major themes that has just risen to the surface has been that of suffering. And it's just starting to come off the page nearly in every chapter, just various dimensions of how we are to respond in suffering. And so I thought it would be interesting to sort of walk through that as we are in the midst of this global pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. When you mention suffering, we have several different layers of suffering, right? So for some people, suffering has really just been brought to say a, a state of social distancing. So restriction of freedoms of like, they can't go out to a restaurant or they can't go and actually be in the same room with their church on the Lord's day. 
But for so many others, suffering has been the result of, you know, the closing of their business that they owned. And now they're having to think in terms of employment and in, in, in another way to feed their family. So, you know, this, this pandemic has had a massive effect on our entire world, but specifically the United States. And then also within the United States, the churches, the local churches. So let's talk through James. Let's talk through some of these various different statements that are made in this wonderful text of scripture and try to navigate how we can think through this, this pandemic from a specific lens of scripture that would bring glory to God and then help us make wise decisions in response to this suffering. Yeah, I think the first thing to be drawn out is right at the start. Here, James is, is speaking to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And so he's speaking to Christians who are, who are scattered. He's speaking to Christians who, in that time period, were certainly enduring various forms of, of suffering. And he says, right off the bat in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so that really sets the stage. And it's so applicable to us today because, like you and I have just said, people are suffering in different ways. Some of the suffering is certainly going to be persecution in this time, but also just the practical day-to-day existence, life, business, health. And so James sets the stage and kind of the foundational reality where he says, brothers and sisters, count it all joy. But he doesn't just say, when you suffer for Jesus' sake, because then it wouldn't give us, now that's true, but it really wouldn't give us much hope right now because honestly, we're not suffering for Jesus' sake. That's not why our churches are being shut down. That's not why our bodies are being ravaged. It's just the natural consequences of living in a fallen world where a virus has infected. And so we could say, ah, you know, James's whole book is about suffering for Jesus' name. That's not really us. So maybe we don't have a lot of truth to be pulled out and comfort. But that's not what he says. He says, when you meet trials of various kinds, understanding the, the wide array of, of difficulty that we're going to face in this life, he says, count it all joy. And so we need to first have this determined mindset of rejoicing in the difficulty. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, when you mention rejoicing in the difficulty, oftentimes people can't really bridge the gap from suffering and joy. I mean, it's, it's a very difficult bridge for them. So they're, they're consistently looking at the negative. And I think that just by nature, uh, from a human perspective, we are typically, you know, wired to look at the negative rather than the positive. But what can God do in our own lives that would, you know, be a positive thing through a pandemic, through suffering, through a trial, through one of these various different trials that we face as humans. And that that leads us to really what James says next, because he tells us to rejoice, but he doesn't just leave us there because that would leave us kind of in the gutter, right? How am I supposed to, I just got the diagnosis. How am I supposed to rejoice? I I know a, a, a very dear friend of mine, a pastor who has six children and he's pastoring a church by himself and he got COVID-19. And for 16 days, and is just getting out of it now, has been in self-isolation in his home, not being able to see his wife and children. So now his wife is handling all of the children, where she's typically had help from her husband. He's so exhausted and tired, it took him three hours to write a simple email 
I mean, it, this thing has wiped him out. He's 36, maybe 37 years old, young, healthy, strong. And if James just says, hey, man, rejoice in that, you kind of left going, how? But, but immediately after in verse three, and this is the second point for us to, to see, James tells us how to understand suffering. And he says in James 1.3, for you know, here's something you know, Christian, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so it's doing something. Suffering is producing something in us. And to understand it, we've got to know it's producing a steadfastness in the Christian in the Christian life of their faith. Yeah, and again when he says the testing of your faith, it produces this steadfastness, this endurance. But when we think about the testing aspect, what does testing typically do? Well, it brings to the surface the genuineness of our faith. So really through all of this, through the process of suffering, God will oftentimes cause your faith to be so tested that it demonstrates that it's real. It's not fake. Yeah, it's the parable of the seed, isn't it? Parable of the sower, where where certain soil uh, receives the seed and it, it crops up immediately with joy. It receives the gospel with joy, the soul does. But then what happens? The sun comes out and the hot rays of the sun beat down on that little seed, that little seedling as it sprouted out of the soil and it withers and dies uh, because it couldn't endure. And that's the reality of 1 Peter 1. That if necessary, for a little while, you, you're enduring suffering. And you go, really? Why is this necessary? And he says, because it's, it's proving the genuineness of your faith. It, like, like you just said, the refiner's fire. It's bringing to the surface the, the impurities so they can be taken out. And then you be established with a purer faith. And it's proving your faith to yourself as well as to an onlooking world. I mean, God, God knows already. This isn't proving it to him. He, he knows if your faith's genuine, but it's, it's establishing and giving assurance to your own soul as you endure suffering and recognize sort of like the disciples in John 6, where he turns to them and says, are you going to leave too? And what do they say? Where else, where else can we go? That's how it is for us in suffering. We go, Lord, this is difficult, but I've got to go to you. I, there's, I've got nowhere else to go a steadfast trust in the Lord. Um, and, and this leads to really the, the third dimension, but ultimately the goal of suffering. James just at the outset here says, guys, here's, here's the goal. I'm going to give away the end of the story for you, what this is doing. And that's verse four. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so steadfastness and endurance is producing something which its, its end goal is, what James says, perfection, completeness. Um, we could call that maturity. We could call that integrity. But the end goal here is Christian sanctification and a fullness and completeness of that sanctification. So when it says have its full effect, this, this response that we have in the midst of suffering to our God does not come. In other words, you don't get the doxology of Job at the end of suffering as an immature Christian. Absolutely. And, and you bring up Job. One of the things that's been very exciting for me as I've been day after day delving into James 
has been the reality that James is being influenced by Job or informed by Job. I had never seen this before, and maybe I'm I'm you know was in the dark on this, but when when J- James brings Job up in the last chapter, listen to this. We'll just fast forward to the end real quick. J- James five eleven. Here here he's he's given this letter to the suffering Christians, encouraging them and explaining suffering, and then he says in five eleven, behold. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. All of a sudden, he just brings up Job and says, you guys you guys know Job, right? And, and you know what God was doing in that story. He's compassionate and merciful. When I f- read that, I think, wait a second. <laughs> That's not the message I was getting from Job. I mean, I was not getting, when I close 42 chapters of Job, I don't go, wow, mercy and compassion. Those are the two attributes that just cover this book. I, I think in our fallenness and, and you know, hard-heartedness, we, we think, wow, God, God is in control. He's powerful. He's strong. And we don't question him. But, but compassion and mercy, and yet that's exactly what James pulls out and he says, look at Job's steadfastness and look at God's purposes. And when I read that initially, I go, that's kind of out of left field, just bringing Job into this whole equation until you realize and work through that, oh my goodness, this, this entire book is saturated in the theology of Job. In fact, just initially perusing it, there are 12 references in these five short chapters in James to the book of Job, 12 references where Job is pulling or James is pulling his theology, pulling word pictures, pulling analogies, pulling the the doctrine of suffering directly from the book of Job. It's informing how we're to not only understand suffering, but ultimately respond in suffering. And, And Josh, here's just one thing. And I, I would love to hear your comments on this. The, the end goal is integrity. And as we think about integrity, I mean, that's what he's saying. Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That's wholeness, right? Where the whole person is being sanctified. That's what integrity means. Literally, the word means wholeness. Where no dimension of your life, where, you know, we all know someone and say, wow, that guy's a great preacher, but he's really, he's really failing as a husband. Or that guy's a great dad, but he's not loving his wife. Or he's a great businessman, but he's not a good churchman. Well, that, that lacks integrity. Integrity is completeness in the Christian life, where every dimension checks out, whether you're in public or private. And James here is saying that's the goal of suffering. That's why God puts us through various trials, to produce a wholeness and a completeness in our life. Yeah, it's a really good point. When you think of the wholeness and the completeness, Immediately, I think of the Shema. I think of when Jesus uses that, you know, that we are to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So in other words, God wants everything, right? And so this world, like a disease, is consistently attacking and attaching its, its you know, itself in, in many different, you know, ways to who we are. Uh, as a as a human being, so to our mind and to our hearts and to our soul, to our strength, and it's distracting us in so many different ways. 
So one of the purifying effects of, say, a pandemic is to cause us to slow down and think about ways that we've been robbing God of worship or ways that we've been failing as a father. And so it's purifying us to bring us back. So this reset in many ways can be a very healthy thing for us as individuals and also as a church. That's so good. And if you don't mind me going a little John Piper right now, don't waste this trial. I mean, don't don't waste this time. Because we when you recognize exactly that, this is producing something. And what is it producing? It's producing maturity and integrity. It's it's designed to expose me. You know, here I am. I can't I can't just leave my house in the morning and go hang out with everybody at work. And maybe that's exposing a lack of joy you had in your family, like you said, or a lack of being a good husband or a lack of leading your your children spiritually or whatever it is. But don't waste this time. Recognize that it's doing something for you. Yeah. If, if I get up and go to the gym in the morning or if I go on a run, I want something as a result of that. In other words, I want a return on that investment, right? And so when I think of this pandemic, I want to think in terms of how will our church worship better after this pandemic? So uh, is there a certain percentage of the church that has typically sat on the fringe and not really been a part of the body life of the church? And yet now we have seen the freedoms stripped from us because of social distancing and other things out out of necessity. But yet now we think of, okay, that's a privilege for me to gather with the church on the Lord's day and to worship and to serve with the gathered body. That is a privilege. I should not forsake this. So I just think in terms of all sorts of different levels of us as individuals and as a church as a whole, this pandemic on the other side of it, this post-pandemic era should, should produce something that's greater. Our worship should be greater. Family life should be greater. So we should use this for the glory of God. That's really, that is really good. Uh, good insight. Um, and the, an, another thing that James reveals um, immediately after this, this maturation or this, this growing in integrity is in verse five, really verse five through eight. But he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, it will be given him, but let him ask in faith. And then he talks about the one who's doubting is unstable. And as I've been thinking through James's theology on suffering, I'm recognizing that he, he's, he's addressing prayer in suffering. Suffering drives us to the throne room of God in petition. And as we are in a time of trial, whatever that trial is, in this case, a global pandemic that has affected everyone, we're driven to prayer. And there's two realities about prayer that that James pulls out. He says, let him ask. Prayer assumes dependence. I don't have, I need. Can I please have? There's a dependence there. And prayer also assumes power. Let him ask of, of God who gives generously. He can do it. Don't doubt. Have faith knowing he can answer that prayer. He has the power to answer that prayer. So this trial, and honestly, Christian, the trial that's going to come tomorrow and the trial that's going to come in six months, next year, in a decade from now, not just this pandemic, we need to be pray, praying in suffering. 
And it's designed to, to lead us to prayer and suffering because prayer assumes dependence and prayer assumes power, which buttresses our faith in God. Yes, absolutely. Spot on. Uh, again, all of these trials, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's you know some sort of cancer that we face, whatever it may be, we always need to remember that God is transcendent. So he is far above us. He doesn't rely upon anything. He doesn't need anything. And yet what happens during trial? When we face trials of various different types, it causes us to see our need for him. It causes us to see that we are dependent people. And that's oftentimes, you know, especially within the reformed world, we often ask questions about what is the purpose of prayer? Well, the purpose of prayer is often to remind us that we need God. He doesn't need us and that it's to move our will to be in conjunction with his will. So let his will be done during this trial for my good and for his glory. Yeah, that's so good. And, and that leads us to, to, to boast in this suffering, doesn't it? And it, it's no coincidence that that's exactly what James then says after demonstrating that here we are dependent people and cast upon the Lord in our suffering. We then are led to boast in that suffering. And it's this, this strange paradox of the Christian life where he says in verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. And he says, because you're like a flower that's here one day and gone the next. You're like the grass. You wither. You're, you're so temporal. And so he's, he's through this trial demonstrating where our dependence must be. And he's demonstrating where our boasting must be. None of us. This, this pandemic is bigger than all of us. It's, it's been the great equalizer, hasn't it? Where whether you're, you're uh, uh, you know, poverty stricken or whether you're in the top 1%, the, the, the grocery stores have been selling out equally. Everybody has been having the same needs and the same fears. I remember when this uh, lockdown first started and news came out in the same day. Do you remember this? When Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson and the NBA was suspended, that they had gotten COVID and the NBA suspended, it kind of hit home for a lot of people. It was going, whoa, one of the biggest, richest, well-liked celebrities has it? Okay, that means anybody can get it, right? I think it was kind of the naive uh, wake-up call. But recognizing that rich or poor, in, in trial, where is your boast? Where is your dependence? And that's why God gives these things because it's so easy for us, especially as Western Americans, to, to become so comfortable in our, in our possessions and so comfortable in, in our bank accounts that, like, like God said to Israel, if, if you prosper, you're going to forget me. And how quickly we do. And so our boast, really, yeah, we're good churchmen. We go to church on weekends and we sing the songs. You know, I only boast in Christ. Christ is nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. But then really, when it's boiled down, our self-assurance and confidence can be so quickly wrapped up in temporal possessions. And so what does the Lord do? He sends a trial to, to show us where our boast needs to be. Yeah. 
you know, we definitely need to be boasting in him. And so a trial brings us low. It causes us to be humble. And like you said, I mean, it, it affects everyone. There is no one who can escape a pandemic like this. And so, again, this has been a really good lesson for, you know, all of us to learn from from rich to poor and from pagan to the church pews as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Well, Josh, I, I know we don't have time to go through every single dimension of suffering in James, but um, a, a couple more I wanted to point out was it, verse 12 talks about the blessing of suffering. And just very quickly, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And then this phrase, obviously the crown of life is the crown granted to those who persevere to the end. And then he says, which God has promised, and this is how he characterizes the Christian. I love this. To those who love him. Yeah. That's the Christian. Those who love him. Um, And there's so much contained in that. There's proper Christology contained in that. There's proper, uh, you know, theology proper contained in that. There's, There's so much because we need to know who is God. You know, why do we love God? How do we love God? But the Christian is defined as those who love God. And interestingly, isn't it in trial when our love is tested? Josh, you've been, as as one of my dear friends and a pastor I esteem and look up to, as we've kind of, over the last years, I've, I've watched you pastoring and ministering. I've seen you walk through intense trial as a pastor but also as a father and the various dimensions of suffering just that the Lord brings in, in, in each of our lives, but walk, watching you walk through that, hasn't the testimony been that when, when the Lord starts to touch things that are personal and things you love, it challenges where is your deepest love? What do you, do you really love me, Josh, or the stuff I'm giving you? Isn't that the reality of it? Well, absolutely. Yeah. And again, I can just think about this past year in Scotland when my daughter had, you know, a a diabetic seizure on the sidewalk and we were, you know, in a very, in a very strange place, you know, to be, uh, first of all, we're in a, you know, a completely odd world where we're not, you know, accustomed to a lot of the, the, you know, the typical ebb and flow of life. So we were placed on a sidewalk calling out for help. And God placed on the side of that road, a medical doctor who got out of his car, came over, started to help treat my daughter who was, you know, having a very serious medical, you know, episode. And it was through that time of conversation after the Lord spared her life that we're sitting there in his car and I'm witnessing to this man who was obviously not a believer. And I was pointing him to the reality that It was no accident that God placed him at that very spot to help me with my daughter. So I was rejoicing. My wife was praying. Uh, We were all standing there just astounded by how God arranged that entire scenario. So when we face difficulties and trials, uh, I think as a believer, the natural tendency is just to flow out of us is to you know bring a testimony to the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. And what a what a blessing to be a conduit of that that the Lord would would choose you to be in that position. Um, 
giving giving you the opportunity to put on display the worth and majesty and worthiness of your Savior. Um, because that's not how the world responds in suffering. The, the world responds in anger, in bitterness, in disregard for others. It's so Christian for us when, when something's being taken away, whether it's our comfort or something or someone we love, for us to be other-focused in that time. Um, and yet the Lord blesses us with suffering to be able to do that. Um, yeah, the, the blessings in suffering are just innumerable. Um, but there's there's something else. I, I, I want to at least get through chapter one here, Josh, because we were talking at the start about certain opportunities, and I want us to talk about those opportunities. But I can't skip over verses 13 through 18. And this is something that had me scratching my head for a while about how does this correlate? Why does James all of a sudden just drop into Homardiology. Uh, I mean, why does he just drop into the study of sin? Here he's talking about he's talking about suffering, and then all of a sudden he goes, "Hey, it's your evil desires that lead you astray. It's not God." And you go, "Wait, what? Where, where did this come from?" And and this actually is being drawn out of Job, Job fifteen, where Eliphaz describes the doctrine of sin, and jo- James really just takes Eliphaz's definition and and puts it into play here. But listen to what he says. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is Lord and enticed by his own desire. And then he says, when desire gives birth, it gives birth to sin, brings forth death. Don't be deceived. And and I'll hold verse 17 for a second. But leading up to verse 17, we realize, wait, what a se- wait a second. Why is, why is, temptation coming into play here. And you know what it is, is when suffering comes, we are going to be assaulted with all kinds of temptations to doubt God's goodness, to blaspheme his name, to refuse to trust him, to pursue idolatry in the midst of pain. I mean, we think about that. This is this is the naturally broken response to pursue fleeting pleasures which promise relief from pain, drugs, alcohol, pornography, food, relationships, shopping, overspending, sleep. People run to fit, to, to sinful overconsumption to ease the pain of suffering. It's why people who, who partake in self-harm cut themselves, hurt themselves, because they're trying to centralize the pain and regain a sense of control over that pain. It's a response to suffering. And what James is saying is, hey, in the midst of suffering, temptations come. Those temptations are not coming from the source of God. Those temptations are coming from the brokenness of your idolatrous heart. But then here's really a profound turn in James' words. He says, verse 16, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is coming from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And you say, wait a second. Why is he talking about good and perfect gifts? We're talking about suffering. Until you realize how he's been laying the ground floor and building this theology of suffering to the point where he gets 
to, to verse 13 and says, guys, respond right. And he turns around and says, because good gifts come from God, which means suffering is a good gift coming from the hand of your father who loves you. So respond properly to that suffering. When that's understood, it's just reorienting your whole perspective on this trial. Because now God's not against me, he's for me. And he's not trying to destroy me, he's trying to build me up. And he's not taking away, he's actually giving a gift, which is going to perfect me and strengthen my love and create a steadfast faith and allow me to grow in my dependence and enjoyment of God and deepen my love for God. I mean, Josh, that's just building. And we're we're in chapter one <laughs> of, of a book just devoted to this theme. Absolutely. And then you think, Jeremy, you think of, you know, what does Paul say? Again, just in the same vein of suffering, when he talks about being in you know, as a prisoner of the Lord, he says that God had used this as an opportunity for what? For him to share the gospel. So here he was looking at his chains and thinking in terms of, okay, God has put me here so that that, so that, that soldier would come to saving knowledge of Christ. So just based on what you've said, and then again, what, what we've talked about here in James, we think about the opportunities that we've had as believers during this time of a pandemic, during social distancing. Yet, yes, we have been suffering at, at some level, all of us to some degree. But yet, what opportunities have, have we experienced? What opportunities has God given to us as individuals to be able to share the gospel, to, to be a testimony of light through social media? Rather than complaining, and again, we can go on down to what he says here later, you know, again in this very chapter about being slow to speak and slow to anger. You know, we should be quick to hear, quick to hear what God says. And then yet don't don't gripe about it. Don't 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 be someone that's just always complaining about it, but look to be a, a positive influence and point people to our hope, which does never waver and point people to their hope in Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's been astonishing taking the what originally looks like an obstacle to our practicing our Christianity, uh, you know, churches being shut down. I, I remember here the first weeks, you know, the conversation around church, it was the first time in 50 years that there would not be a full congregation hearing Pastor John preaching from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. And that first Sunday, there was 200, it was still when two gatherings of 250 were allowed. So that first Sunday, you know, just a few people are trickling into the service. And I, I went into the back of, of the Grace Church service here. And for the first time in 50 years, Pastor John stands up behind that pulpit and speaks to essentially an empty auditorium. And it was surreal. And you're thinking, is this really going to go on? How can this go on? It's been six weeks now. But in that time, you're talking about a 2,700-person congregation auditorium. That's been empty. But over 100,000, nearly 200,000 people live stream his sermons on a Sunday morning from over 86 countries. And they're wanting to know, how do we respond? What is God doing? And so 
seeing the opportunity in the midst of this trial. And it was a secularist, I think it might have been Winston Churchill, you can fact check me on that, who said, never waste, uh, um, what was it, never waste a disaster or never waste a trial. I don't think the word was trial. Uh, oh, it was crisis, never waste a crisis. And that's looking, you know, obviously politicians want to take advantage and, and business people want to take advantage of people. And they see crisis as a way to do that, right? Like the guy who bought $17,000 worth of hand sanitizer because he wanted to price gouge and he's left with all of that in his garage because Amazon shut him down. Um, hey, he was trying not to waste the crisis, right? But, but as Christians, we really do redeem that by saying we don't want to waste this, this crisis. We can redeem this crisis and we have an incredible opportunity to declare the hope we have in Christ when the world around us is hopeless. Yeah, when the world is, you know, at a standstill from an economic standpoint. And then, of course, you know, looking at a disease and thinking about their own health and well-being. And then they're looking to, you know, the church and they're looking to Christians to say, okay, what's your response going to be? So what what do we want to show the, the watching world? Do we want to show them that we're going to be afraid? that we're going to be griping and complaining about the decisions of our government officials. We're going to fall into the rut of conspiracy theory, that this was all some sort of a conspiracy. Uh, are we going to talk about you know weird things or will we maximize this opportunity and use the microphone, so to speak, that's being placed in front of us to point people to Jesus Christ and to point them to our hope in God through all of this? Yeah. Amen. Yeah, brother, that's so good. And and I would encourage um, the the listener to dig in at this at this point to the word of God. Even dig into James. Um, this this study has been so edifying to my soul and has really transformed how we we are responding in this time. Um, and it's turned us from being self-focused to to first of all, focused on the Lord and what he's doing and, and on others around us and being able to serve them. Um, so I've, I've really enjoyed it, just seeing how uh, the purposes of suffering in the life of the righteous, what God's doing for the believer and, and how we're to respond in that. And ultimately that suffering reveals false faith. Uh, it reveals those who, who are, in, who are, who are dis, disingenuous or, or, or uh, fake believers, those who really aren't trusting God, but but at the same time, it proves and matures genuine faith. Um, and so, looking at this as an as an opportunity to grow in Christ likeness um, has been really encouraging uh, for my wife and I, and and for for other believers as as we've been digging into these truths. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of the G Three Podcast. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. Again, you can find out more information and find more resources at g3conference.com, as well as all of the archives of this podcast, and also information related to the 2021 G3 Conference, and also the G3 at Sea that will be taking place in January of 2021. And so we hope that you can join us for that as well. Until next time, we hope that you will be an ongoing encouragement in the context of your local church for the glory of God. Mm-hmm.